Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. And uh, and again, the importance of the presence of the Lord. I don't know if you're uh, pulling it to your mind, and I hope it's not in the forefront and clouding out what the Lord's doing, but this is a crazy season in our world, right? We're coming to church this morning, and uh, we're just right on the heels of remembering 9-11, and that gets really fresh with all that's going on in Afghanistan and, and you know, the, the polarization about how this was handled and about what's going on now with, with the terrorist groups and et cetera, et cetera. And, I mean, you just can't turn on any news or, or look at any feed, and it's, it's not popping up right in your face. But it's not the only thing because we've got, you know, still this new influx of COVID and we're going into a fall season and what's going to happen there. And now these mandates for vaccines, again, polarizing our country, mandates for vaccines or you're losing your job or you can't function the way you're supposed to across the country, wherever you fall on that. The point is, it's another big thing that we've got to navigate and we've got to understand. Not only that, but we're hearing whispers about inflation about the economy, you know, uh, the, uh, going through another shakeup and, and not sure what that's going to mean. Uh, we've still got hurricanes that are coming and we've got states and cities that are devastated and with flooding and, and uh, out with power and, you know, food shortages and supply shortages and resources. And, and then we've got this whole social justice thing that isn't finished yet. And there's still a lot of arguments in schools. You know, the, the homeschooling doubled from last year primarily uh, because, um, you know, because of somewhere between the COVID, but because of this whole CRT infusion into, and, and, you know, some people feel really, really strong about that. And to the point that they're making arrangements and pulling their kids out and we could just go on and on and on and how that's impacting us personally. But all of that, the new Testament told us, wake up, Matthew chapter 24 is pretty complete in showing us when you start seeing these things increasing, any one of those circumstances, particulars pulled out, any one of those categorically have been going on probably all of our life. But when you start seeing them come with a regularity and with an intensity, the Bible says in Matthew 24, it says, pay attention, because the return of Jesus is really, really, really close. And I'm telling you, we're, we're, we're living in the last, not just the last days, we're living in the last of the last of the last days. This is like a two-minute warning, so to speak. And I'm not just, you know, flowering words out there. When you read your Bible, this is, this is actually what happens. In fact, Paul tells us in both of his letters that all of these things we're seeing right now would constitute perilous times. Not because of the wars and not because of the weather and the, the, you know, the catastrophes, and, but because of what happens with people's hearts and attitudes because of all this. They become very individual. They become very self-seeking. They're willing to, you know, to do anything to make sure they survive this. But for Christians, starting right there in Matthew 24, consistently all the way through the New Testament, it tells us whatever you do, when you see these things coming, do not let your heart be troubled. Well, that sounds great to say. And I would love to say, yeah, my heart's not troubled. But when it says let not, it, that, that's a very intentional statement to says, listen, you're going to have to take, to take control of your emotions and your mind 
And you're going to have to take control of what, what you believe your convictions are. In fact, Second Peter picks up on this whole kind of idea. And he says that it's through God's great and precious promises we can literally be delivered from all of the corruption that's coming together and happening in the world. But it tells us whatever you do, you need to lean in and make your calling and your election sure. In other words, you and I have the responsibility to look back and know that God, that God has chosen us, called us into his family, and that we've chosen God, and that relational connection is rock solid. Nothing and no one can pull that apart. And that's what we're going to begin to talk about today in a new series, because let me, let me tell you the reality, and maybe you've experienced this, maybe you haven't, but I, I think for the most part, people do. You, you're watching all the news and you're watching everything that's going on and you're listening you know, to, to, the, to the back and forth discussions and the polarization of what's happening and, and you, you know, some, some of your heart and your mind is thinking, yeah, that, that, that makes sense and then wait, 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 but this makes sense too and you're all over, even to the point that when you're reading the Bible, you can read the Bible and you can say, well, that's true. We know that's true because that's the Bible. And yet at the very same time, something in the back of your mind is beginning to argue well, yeah, yeah it's, it's what the Bible says, it's true, but is it really true for me? Is that really what the Bible's saying that I need to embrace? Is that really what God's promising me? I mean, how do I know that this is going to work for me in this situation right here, in this culture, in this context with all the crazy, because we're not at a place where we can be making mistakes, now, it, there may be a number of reasons why. Maybe you've just had some bad past experiences and, you know, you've, you've tried to trust the Lord and it didn't work out like you thought and so you're kind of hurt and disappointed and disillusioned. Maybe you know somebody that you loved who stepped out and you thought, man, these are godly people and they tried to believe and trust God and it didn't work out for them like they thought. And so it's kind of caused you to take a half a step back. Maybe your, your secular rationale or your logic's kicking in and kind of pushing ahead of your faith and your trust in what the Word of God says. And you've got this worldview that's now competing. Yeah, but, but, it, but is that really what the Bible says? And I mean, is that really what it means? And, and, and can we take it literally like that? Or, or it could be the fact that you just kind of had some bad theology. Now, not if you come here, but you've had some bad theology over the years by some well-meaning pastors or just, you know, kind of indulging in a hodgepodge of podcasts and it's a little here and a little there and you don't realize that some of the belief systems that, that the Word of God teaches, is, it gets a little bit shaky. Whatever it is, that nagging reality is real. That thing that says, well, on one hand, I know that the Bible's true and I believe that God is true but on the other hand, I'm just not confident that I can take these promises, I can take these things that God said as literal and as guarantees, at least not for me. And I'm going to tell you something, that is a dangerous, dangerous place to stay. We all find ourselves there from time to time, can't help it in an environment like that we live in. It's a dangerous place to stay because if you stay there, what's going to happen is you will come to a point in time where you're going to need to rely on the integrity of God's word because it's the only standard that is immovable. But you won't be able to do it because you've allowed all of these questions and all of these what ifs and you haven't known how to strengthen and cultivate a confident assurance in the things of the Lord. 
And, and again, this should be kind of already in our minds, but we, you know, we live in an American church and it's easy for us to just, you know, thread the needle and kind of bounce back and forth. And again, be, because our world and our culture, at least in America, has been relatively okay, then we haven't had to, 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 to deal with this too much. But what if the things of the Bible really are real? What do you do with scriptures that we, you know, we love to quote and we love to sing about and we love to write in someone's card as an encouragement? But what do you do with scriptures like 2 Corinthians 1.20 that says all of God's promises are yes? Really, because lots of times we go to the Lord, well, I know the Bible says this, but, but Lord, can we? Well, it's already yes. We don't have to question that. But we go questioning, looking for some kind of confidence to, to let me know, no, this is real and it's real for me. What do we do with that? What do we do with other things that Jesus said throughout the New Testament? Like take Mark 9.23 when he says, if you can believe, all things are possible if you believe. How do we read that scripture? What do we do with it? Do we say, well, it's just kind of an exaggeration to make a point. Really? So the Bible exaggerates? Because if it's exaggerating there, how do we know it's not exaggerating everywhere, including where we're going to spend eternity? I don't want exaggerations there. I want to know that what I signed up for is an eternity with God, not an eternity lost. I need to know the Bible says what it says and means what it says. How about one more where in Mark eleven twenty four 24, Jesus said, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive those things and you'll have every one of them. See, these are big statements with no exits. You either jump in and you embrace it and you believe it or not. But here's a big problem is we've, we've got this giant spongy gray area that we've created in our own American church. And it says this, well, you know, but the Bible's not really supposed to be taken literally like that. And, and here's our rationale, because everybody knows, I mean, the Bible even says that God is bigger than us, that his ways are higher than us that we can't possibly understand or know what he's going to do. And listen to me, there's some truth in that. And, and we, we need to balance that out with scripture. But there's some truth in that. But let me ask you this question in a very practical and yet biblical way. If we also believe that God is the originator, the designer, and the premier ex example of what relationship looks like, do you know of any healthy relationships where the people that are involved can't depend on each other, can't trust each other. They don't know what, what, I never know what the other person's going to do. Do you know of any healthy growing relationships like that? Of course you don't. Can you show me one scripture in, the, in just the Gospels? When Jesus came down and said, I'm here to show you what it's like to be in a relationship with a father. Can you show me one scripture where Jesus said, well, you never know what he's going to do. He's kind of a slick one. He'll say one thing, but he may do something else. You won't find it. Everything is him building our confidence. And I'm going to tell you this, this truth. It's true in every one of your relationships. You know this. But it's true in those relationships because it's true in the relationship that comes straight from the Heavenly Father. If you want a deep and a real and an intimate and a trusting relationship with God, you've got to come to grips with the fact that God is absolutely faithful every time. There's no, no deviance in him. If he said something, he will do it. You've also got to come to grips with the fact that the scriptures are the integrity of God on display. 
He wrote this down because he wanted us to read it over and over and over again and, and, and to recognize he, he'll tell the truth. Stay with it. Now, again, we agree with this conceptually. We, we have all of these kind of vague notions that float around, and we just never sync them all up. But unless we translate that, you know, that concept, well, no, I know God's true, and, and I know the Bible's true. And, but if we don't translate that into, but how do we live that in our everyday life, then let me just tell you the reality. Real trust and real faith, and real intimacy, and real security, knowing that you belong to God, and he's watching over you, and he will take care of you, that will never take root. And you'll live the rest of your life here on earth going to heaven because you believe in Jesus. But just as vulnerable to all of the panic, and the insecurity, and the frustration, and the not knowing, all the stuff that everybody else who doesn't know Christ is going through in the world, you'll be just as vulnerable to that. We're not going to do that here. So we're starting a brand new series here today. I'm so excited about this series, because when I first locked into this, this was another one of those life-changing things for me. And I don't mean to just kind of, you know, put a little polish on the life. This radically changed me, and I've never, ever seen Christianity. I've never experienced my relationship with God the same after I saw this. We're going to start a, a series called Under Contract, and we're going to understand what does it really mean to have a covenant relationship with God through Christ. Now, some of those words are familiar because we might have read them in a Bible or heard them in a podcast, but we're going to really understand what this means so that we can lock into that. And we're going to replace a lot of misconceptions. I'm just going to tell you right now, starting today, some of you are going to be really challenged. And all I'm asking is just stay with it for a few studies. Don't, don't be frustrated. Don't just say, ah, well, I don't buy into all that. Look at what the Bible says. I'm not going to give you my opinion. I'm going to come straight back to the Word of God. You wrestle with this. Give it a few weeks for us to frame this in and then see what happens. But I'm going to tell you, this is going to replace some of our misconceptions about God with absolute scriptural truth. And in doing so, it's going to help us to understand what it means and to build such a confidence in God that it doesn't matter what's going on in the world around us, that we can stay locked in and our trust can be in God and we can experience the peace of God that bypasses our understanding, supersedes our understanding, and the joy of salvation. So we're not grumpy and afraid and frustrated and angry and you know just all tangled up all the time, but we're walking in the joy of the Lord because God already made promises to us and we absolutely believe he's going to do this. Listen to me, this is important all the time but the New Testament says this is especially important when we recognize that we are in the last of the last of the last of the last days. So, so important. And so my encouragement to you is lean into the study, not just come on Sunday morning. Of course, do that. But, uh, but pick up these study guides. You know, we, we've got them out on the table. If you didn't get one, then make sure you at least get one on the way out. We're giving, giving a copy to everyone today. You don't have to be in a connect group. You can use these as a personal study guide. Uh, but the second encouragement along with these would be get in a connect group. Because what Pastor Spencer said, man, it, it, you, you will not learn at the same degree. You won't experience the change in your life. It won't kind of get rooted and really cement in the same way unless you are talking and discussing these things. And we'll even look at why that's true as we get through the study. There's one more uh, additive that for those of you that like to read and you, you like a little research, uh, there's a book called God Swears to Keep His Promises. 
Full disclosure, this book is written by my brother, Pastor Jerry Dearman. He's in California. Um, but I didn't rec- I didn't, I'm not recommending it because of that. I, I get no commission off this. I get no royalties, just so you guys know. There's no special privileges here. Uh, but I recommend, I, I'm recommending it because I've read a number of books and studied a number of research materials at the academic level and all the way down. And, I, and I've not found a book that is better written than this as far as giving us a rich history, helping us to practically understand what our covenant with God is all about. And of course, it's solidly and soundly scriptures. Little tiny fun thing for those of you guys who are part of the family. He does pull back the curtain and show a couple of stories about when we were growing up. And so uh, uh, I'm not sure I would have shared those, but he, he was, took great pleasure in it. And so uh, you might learn some things about that too. So these are some things that will help us to get into this study. But I'm telling you, this is one of those supremely important studies. And I've already been praying for weeks and weeks now that God would uh, come in, the Holy Spirit would open our eyes. So having said all of that, let's just jump into this morning's studies. I'd like you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. If you're not really a note taker, uh, this would be a great time to start. If taking notes distracts you, then that's fine. Uh, but just make sure you get that book and you, you go through the lesson another time on podcast or something so that Uh, you can make sure to get this deep in you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. I'm reading this morning from the ESV or the English Standard Version. It says, therefore, remember. Now let me just stop. He's saying to remember because he's saying, I don't care where you're at in your life. I don't care where you're at in your Christianity. It hasn't been that long that you can't remember back at a time and a place where you felt like you were disconnected from God. Even if you grew up in the church, Not everybody that grows up in the church, you know, just stays in the sweet spot all the time. He says, I want you to stop and I want you to step back and I want you to kind of pull that to mind. What what was that like? And he goes on and he describes it. He says, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what or some translations said by who is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Now already that's just super tangled up. Uh, if you don't understand some of the language. So other translations say this. It says, remember the time when you were known by those whose bodies were circumcised as the uncircumcised people. In other words, there were two groups of people. Today, if we put a contemporary flavor on it, we might say, remember the time when the people that were believers looked at you and said, they're not believers. They're obviously unbelievers. He wants to draw the distinction between two groups, and he's trying to help them to remember that. So verse 12 goes on, and he repeats again. He says, remember that where you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Again, pick up on that outside, inside. It's like you weren't inside. You weren't part of this group. You were on the outside of the group. He says, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and listen to this statement, and strangers to the covenants of promise. Now, when when you are those things, when you are without Christ, when you're alienated from the commonwealth of believers, when you're strangers to the covenant of promise, here's the result. He says, you have no hope, not real hope. You can cross your fingers and say, well, I'm just hoping it's going to turn out right, but not Bible hope. Bible hope, again, comes from the Greek word LPs, and it means an expectation, a confident expectation. You're not living there yet, 
but you have something that gives you a reason or something to expect, and that's where you've set your expectation, and so you're confident. You're not like, oh, I don't know. You're like, no, I I do know. I'm just waiting for it to get here. So he says, when you're strangers to the covenant of promise, you live your life having no real hope. No no real confident expectation of what's going to happen or what God's going to do. And notice he says this, and without God in the world. Now, if, if you're a Christian, you're not really without God in the world, but you feel like you're without God in the world. You feel like my prayers are hitting the ceilings. You feel like nobody understands where I'm at. How do I know that God even cares, that God even loves me? How do I know that God really will help me in this situation? So you're feeling like and you're living like, uh, like, like someone without God. In fact, again, Paul's reminding them there, there used to be a distinction. Remember that. Stop and pull that to mind. Remember what it was like to not have God, to not be able to go to him, to not be able to depend on him. And some of you are like, oh, yeah, I remember it because that's me right now. I mean, I, I am saved. And and I'm going to heaven, but I don't feel like that I can really count on God, not with this kind of confidence. And so I'm going to give you three truths this morning that are going to help us get started to frame in a study. Here's the first one already. Many Christians are strangers to the covenants of promise. Many Christians are strangers to the covenant promise. Now, I want to acknowledge that's not what Paul's intent was in the context. He's trying to help them to see, no, there was a time where you literally were estranged. You literally were not saved. You weren't part of God's family. And he's trying to get them to understand that. But I'm telling you that even today, there are many people that are part of God's family, and they're still living as if they're strangers to the covenant of promise. Now, I didn't say they're strangers to the promise. Because there's a lot of Christians that know the promises. A lot of Christians that write those little things on, on the cards again. They put them on notes, sticky notes and put them up on their mirror, you know. They, they'll, they'll quote them to other people. And by the way, I'm not making fun or marginalizing any of that stuff. Keep doing that. That's really important. But my point is that these are Christians that can be uh, very familiar with the promises. But listen, they're strangers to the covenant of promises. Strangers to the covenant, and let me say it a different way. These are people that are saved, and they're going to heaven, and they come to church, and they read their Bibles, and they take little notes, and they send cards to other people, and they sing the songs, and, and, and they quote, you know, quote, quote the scriptures to, other, to, to each other. They even bring their tithe back to the Lord. They're even serving in God's kingdom somewhere, and yet at the very same time, they're living with almost a complete ignorance of the integrity and the guarantee of God's word to them. They just don't know that that's true. They hope it is. I mean, when they get in trouble, they're begging God. They're making deals, and I promise I'll never do this again, and I promise I'll start doing this from now on forever. You know, I'll do it, I'll do it as much as you want me to. I'll, all these kind of deals, but even then they walk away kind of like, ah, I hope he was listening. I hope he'll lean in this time and finally do something, and there's just no dependability. Again, you won't find that kind of relationship in any other healthy context that you're living in. If you're living in that relationship in, in, the, in a practical world, you're, you're looking at that thinking, this is toxic, man. This, this is not healthy. But for some reason, we buy into this in the spiritual thing, and yet that's not exact, that's not at all what God intended. In fact, listen to Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. It says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man 
that he should change his mind. In other words, he's not second generation that says, well, I know my dad promised this, but the situation's changed. I think I'm going to have to adjust. And that neither of those are God. And then he asks a rhetorical question that, listen, is not just supposed to float. We're supposed to answer that internally. Here's the question. Has he said it and will he not do it? Is God the kind of person that will say something to you, promise something, look you right in your face and say, I promise you, you can depend on me and then not do it? And we know the answer, right? It's complex because as soon as we, as soon as we give the right answer, it's like, no, that's not God at all. We realize, yeah, but then that means I have to be super confident over here. It's very complex and we're going to study all of this, I promise you. But the baseline is we have to begin to come to grips with the fact, and I'm just going to say it you know, like, like super, super plain. We have to come to the fact when God makes a promise, is he telling us the truth or is he lying? There's no gray area. A promise is a promise. We say stuff like that, right? Is he telling the truth or not? Well, I'm so glad that the Apostle Paul didn't stop right there. But he kept going in Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to verse 13. He says, but now. So remember back when you used to live in this disconnect. And for us, it would be, we're saved, but I don't feel like we're you know, really, really connected. We don't feel like God's with us. We don't feel like we, we're, we can count on him. And we know that we know that we know that he's going to do what he promised. We don't feel like that. He says, but now in Christ Jesus. And if you understood the verb tense here, listen, this is very dramatic. Very dramatic. It's like a huge, huge shift. He wants you to understand this is not just a little slide. This is a cataclysmic shift that happened. He said, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, I want you to notice that phrase, brought near by the blood of Christ. It's kind of a really cool phrase in, in the Greek, and so I'm going to bring a little bit of it out for you. The word near is this really fun word to say. It's in goose. Kind of a fun word to say in Greek, right? So you can say that to your friends and say, hey, I know Greek. But it's from a root that literally points to, it means, uh, it's referring to the inner crease of the arm. And here's what it means. When something is placed in the inner crease of the arm and the arm is folded, it disappears. It is so enveloped. It is so surrounded by, that, by, by what's happening on the arm that you literally can't see it anymore. And when it says you're brought near, it means that God has pulled you into his family and completely wrapped you up. So from the spiritual realm, from the kingdom realm, they don't see you by yourself anymore. In fact, they can't see you at all. All they can see is that you're in God. That, that's how radical and how dramatic this is. You literally belong to him. But I want you to notice how that happened. You were brought near by the blood of Christ. And this reference to the blood, again, is a reference to a blood covenant, which we're going to talk about in just a moment. It's a blood covenant. You and I would think about it as a contract that God locked himself into. And the Bible says that's what creates this radical shift and wraps you up. You are literally, when you accept Jesus Christ, you were put under contract. You're locked in and God's locked in because of a contract that was signed by the blood of Jesus. 
And we're, we're going to understand that more fully, but let me just take a couple of minutes uh, and let's talk about uh, very broadly what a covenant is because we don't talk about this very much in our society. The world, I mean, that kind of word is out there, but, but it's not part of our everyday uh, thought or language like it was a hundred or a few hundred years ago. So let me just kind of explain a couple things. Uh, first of all, uh, the whole Bible's written from an Eastern cultural mindset and it's written from a covenant perspective. In fact, you may not know this, but your Bible's divided into two covenants, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. We don't call it that. We call it Testament because that's where it comes from. The old English word for covenant was Testament, and so that's what we call it in all of our English Bibles. But literally, that's what it means, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And the word covenant, whether you're reading from the Old Testament or the New, consistently all the way through, the Old Covenant always refers to a binding agreement or a pack, or I'm going to use this a little bit loosely because it's most familiar to us, we would call it a contract. And it literally shows up 300 times in the Word of God, and there are thousands of references if you know what you're looking for. If you have a mindset of covenant, you'll see it everywhere, and you'll recognize, oh, this whole Bible is about two contracts. This is not, you know, people say, what's well, a love letter from God? Yeah. But much more than that, this is a legal document in the kingdom of God. This is the history and the unfolding of two different covenants that were, that were in sequence with one another. And the Bible says we need to recognize just how intentional this was. So, for example, we've already read some verses in Ephesians 2, and it was loaded with covenant language. You may or may not have picked up on it. But when it, whenever it says things like Gentiles versus the Jews, those are two different covenants. One, person, one, one group had a covenant, the other person didn't. One group were under contract, the other one they were free. They weren't under contract. Not only that, but it talked about circumcised and uncircumcised. And I even you know, tried to explain that a little bit. But, but listen, those are covenant terms because the circumcision in the Bible wasn't just health-related. It was a, a, a scar or it was an indicator that this person has a covenant with God, has a contract with God. Now, that talked about commonwealth. Once you're in a contract, there are some benefits that are just common to everybody who's in that contract. But if you're not in the contract, those, you don't get those benefits. Don't even think about it because they don't belong to you. And, and then again, the direct reference that Paul used, he talked about the covenants of promise. Now, up to a few hundred years ago, these things were much more understood, much more automatic. You read your Bible and you're seeing this stuff because up to a few hundred years ago, covenant was, was, was recognized universally around the world. In fact, you can go look at history. Some of this book, um, God Swears to Keep His Promises, will walk you through some history. And there are historical documents plentiful that talk about the fact that, uh, that almost every culture in the history of the world has practiced blood covenants, including the United States, by the way, and some are still practicing the, these covenants. And, uh, and, and it's really important that we recognize this language. In fact, uh, in, I think it's in the first chapter of the book, uh, my brother Jerry tells this story, and this kind of shows some nuance. Uh, when we were kids, my dad was a big John Wayne fan. And so Westerns, you know, were always on the TV, and we loved it. And it was not uncommon in a Western for you to watch a cowboy and an Indian, you know, become blood brothers together. 
And the way they did that, it wasn't nearly as graphic as it would be in today's movies, but the way they did that was usually the Indian would pull out his big knife and, and would slit his wrist, and then the cowboy would slit his wrist, and they'd put the wrist together, you know, and they would, you know, swear to each other, and they'd become blood brothers. Well, here we were, you know, we were so drawn in by that, that every time that, that scene came on in a movie, you know, we'd, we'd run to the, to the freezer and we'd grab a couple of popsicles and risk brain freeze eating them as fast as we possibly could because we wanted to use the popsicle sticks and the syrup that read to run those across our wrists and we would put it together and we'd be imitating what we saw on the screen. We're going to be blood brothers. And some of you are thinking, well, why would you do that? You were real brothers. I'll tell you why. Because blood is thicker than water. Oh, you didn't know that was a covenant term. You thought that meant, well, blood is thicker than what? Doesn't that mean like, you know, if you're related, that's a lot more important. That's a lot more connected than something to do with water. I don't know what that means. But blood is thicker than water literally is a covenant term. And it means the blood of a covenant contract is thicker and more binding than even the water of the mother's womb that was shared by, by siblings. That's literally what it means. But we don't get that anymore, right? Because we're not in covenant stuff anymore. And so we just kind of let these things sail by and everything becomes more surface level and, and everything becomes a little more casual. But listen to me, to date, the blood covenant is still around the world the most binding, irrevocable agreement that mankind has ever known. While we, we've, we've got a lot of, you know, polished kinds of agreements now, and we call them contracts, different kind of contracts you can get in. Some have terms and some, or, or some have lengths and terms, and others are pretty loose there, but we have all these contracts, but, and so we think we're super civilized, right? But the problem is, with the, even with the contracts we have now, even the most sophisticated ones are so loaded with legal loopholes that people are breaking these contracts all the time. And the consequence is kind of up to, well, is it worth the money I'm going to have to spend to go and, you know, and, and fight this and get back what's owed to me? And the majority of the time is it's not. But this is never, ever, ever the case with a blood contract. Never in the history of the world. Never. Because with a blood contact, it's, it's blood in, blood out. The only way you can get out of, out of a blood contract is you have to die. Now, let, let me show you another nuance where we still have this. We just don't get it, Right? But marriage, how many ceremonies, in fact, it's pretty traditional, pretty standard to stand at an altar in front of God and everybody else and utter the words, till death do us part. That's what we say. And by the way, pardon me if this is a little graphic, but in the older traditions, that marriage, even though you've taken those oaths and you've said, till death do us part, that marriage was not consummated until the honeymoon night and even then, parents would often go into the honeymoon suite afterwards and verify that there was a little blood stain on the sheet. And when that happened, legally speaking and culturally speaking, the marriage has been consummated in blood. And till death do us part is now activated. This was the intent. And this, this is how it, it means, but again, we don't see it and we don't understand this stuff anymore, and so we, we don't put the kind of value. Now listen, we've got a lot to learn. I'm going to help you see how we've got all these nuances, and especially how the Bible pulls these covenant terms in and brings them to life so that you can be confident 
This is what God said, and this is what he means. And I can depend on this, not just kind of, you know, uh, inspirationally, but I can depend on this when the chips are down and the world is crazy. I can stand there and say, nope, this is what God promised me, and I'm going to put my trust in him. For the rest of this, the rest of this will go pretty quick. I got a good, a good foundation set for you, but uh, leave Ephesians 2. We'll come back there at some point uh, the next time, but come back to, go over to Hebrews chapter 6, and let me show you probably the most shocking part of this lesson, but let me show you the, the, the real meat of what we want to get across in this particular series, and it'll show up in two very quick, succinct uh, truths in Hebrews chapter 6. And this is going to talk about the length that God was willing to go. Listen, God is more desperate for you and I to trust him than you are to trust him. I mean, this is the heavenly father. This is so dear to his heart that his children are completely secure and trusting in him. Nothing breaks a dad's heart more than the kids can't trust him. But when the kids say, you know what? (laughs) This is really scary, but if dad says jump, if dad says step, If dad says, don't worry, I won't let you fall, then he won't. Dads don't let people fall, let their kids fall. And so we we leap out. God is desperate for this, and you're going to see just how desperate he was. Now, I'm going to switch to an easier translation. We don't often do that, uh, but I just want you to hear the concept. I want you to be able to get it and and be able to wrestle with it uh, from this point on, and then we'll pick up again next week. Listen to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 16. We're in the New Living Translation. And this is the author of Hebrews. Some people think it's Paul. Some people think it's Barnabas. And some people you know, have other opinions. But this is what the author of Hebrews says. He said, now when people take an oath, okay, you and I would understand in our everyday, that's a contract. When they sign a contract, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. For us, that would be the legal system. You can say whatever you want. But when you put that name on your contract, now we've got a whole justice system that is supposed to hold people to what they committed to. And this is what he's referring to. He says, and, or we can add once they do, without any question, that oath or that contract is binding. Nope, you signed the contract. Verse 17, here's the shocking part. Listen, God also bound himself with an oath. What? Because a lot of people say, what are you talking about? God's sovereign. He does whatever he wants, whenever he wants, to whomever he wants, however he wants. He's got no strings on him. He lives above all that stuff. Well, God is sovereign. He he gets to do anything he wants. But Hebrews 6 tells us what he wanted to do was to put himself in a contract. And we're going to find out why. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure. Other translations say supremely confident, without absolute any doubt. Once God signed a, God signed a contract, be like, well, well, okay, well, you signed the contract now. He said those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Here's truth number two. Understanding the reality of covenant creates absolute confidence in his promise. Here's a fun story. I I grew up and I grew up in an area where my dad was a backyard contractor and he worked as a, uh, as a a foreman over all of the, the machinists that that were McDonnell Douglas that had all the big aircraft uh, uh, contracts and everything. 
But dad was really handy and he knew a lot about construction. And so we, we were always, I can't, I just can't remember a time when we weren't involved in some kind of a side job somewhere. Everything from, you know, pouring slabs to building, you know, additional rooms and, and rooms on, on uh, stories, patios, wrought iron, bricklaying, you name it. My dad was involved in it and he could do it. But this was back in an area where a handshake, a smile, and a reputation is all you needed. And you'd seal the deal. So you'd go over and, you know, they, the person would show this, what we want you to do. And you'd say, yeah, I think I can do it for this amount. And you look at each other, you feel good about it. I feel good about that. And you'd shake hands. And once you shook on it, that was it. You're, you're, in, you're in a verbal contract, right? But every once in a while, I, I'd, I'd go with my dad. Every once in a while, dad would get to that part in the conversation. And, uh, and they'd, they'd get ready to shake on it. And dad would say, hey, you mind if we put that in writing? And every single time he did, the response was predictable. What, you don't trust me? Well, and he, you know, you'd be like, well, it's not that I don't trust you. I, we don't really know each other. And I just thought, you know, it's like really clear. If we have it in writing, then you know what I'm promising. I know what you're promising. And, you know, it just kind of erases any ambiguity. And most of the time, the person would say, okay, that's fine. And once it was in writing, once it was in, you know, kind of in a contract form, then, uh, then it was settled. This is exactly what God's trying to get across to us. There was a point that God began to understand. I shouldn't say it that way because it's not like he didn't ever understand. But there was a point we'll see in the Bible where God leaned in and said, okay, here's what I see with mankind, that I'm never going to get you past the ambiguity. Even though I'm giving you my promise, and I'm God, by the way, I don't lie. If I promise it, I'll do it. But even if I give you my word, you don't know me enough or well enough to make that, uh, to, to make that settle the deal. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go the extra mile. I'm going to sign a contract with you so that we can settle this once and forever. This is exactly what the Bible says that God did with us as hard as that is for you to get your head wrapped around. This is, this is real, and this is what the whole Bible, the whole Old Testament and New Testament is written based on God, not just promising, but God putting himself in a contractual obligation that what he promised, he would actually pull off. In fact, let's keep reading. We'll finish a couple more verses in Hebrews 6, and we're done for the day. It says, so God has given both his promise and his oath. That's important to understand that because, again, there's a lot of Christians that can read God gave a promise, but they don't recognize, but he signed a contract to verify that promise, so he's doubly locked in. He did that by his own volition. Nobody forced him to. Nobody twists his arm. God, the sovereign God, said, this is what I'm going to do, and this is exactly what he did. So that by these two, uh, so these two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. It was impossible for him to lie on his promise. Now it's doubly impossible because he signed the contract. You, you can't break that contract. It goes on and says, therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge, and the refuge is not talking about just refugees kind of on the earth and, and particular circumstances. It means those of us that realize we're lost in sin. We're desperate for God. It, on our best day, it's not enough. Even if we could do it one time, we can't sustain that in order to live the way that, that God created us to live. And so we run to God and say, God, we need a savior. We need to be rescued. He said, those of us that have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence. 
I mean, this, this is like huge, stellar, immovable confidence so that we can have great confidence as we hold to the hope, again, the expectation that lies before us. And notice this, this hope, this expectation is a strong and a trustworthy anchor for your soul. Here's the last truth for this morning. Confidence in God's covenanted promise anchors our soul in times of chaos and crisis. Sometimes more so lately than, you know, than at other times, but sometimes I, I do catch the headlines and I'll read through some stuff and I'll think, what do people do that don't understand the covenanted promise of God? What do people do when disaster is imminent, when crisis is imminent, when inflation is imminent, when war is imminent, when, when, you know, when pestilence and viruses are imminent. What do people do? I'll tell you what they do. Christians and non-Christians like, they freak out. They do it in private because they want to preserve their dignity, but they're living on pins and needles. And I think, but that's not at all what God's covenanted people are supposed to do. God's covenanted people are supposed to pull out the contract and say, thank God that we've got a contract. Thank God that we're covered. Thank God that even if the mountains shake and fall into the sea, we're going to be okay. Thank God that if pestilence sweeps through the land, that God's going to sustain us because he promised he would. Thank God that if all of a sudden the economy freezes up, I don't know how, but God will provide for us. We will make it through those times and we will see better days because the covenant of God promises that we would. See, now this is what's supposed to spring up in your heart. But the Bible says it has to be intentional. We have to lock in and we have to make sure, boy, we understand and we are completely confident about the covenant we have with God. Once that happens, everything changes. Everything changes. You can make clear-headed, balanced decisions because the covenant is strong and sure. This is why we can't afford, especially here in the last of the last of the last days, to be strangers to the covenants of promise. We have to lean in and realize how serious God was, how much integrity God put on the line when he said, no, you can trust me. You can trust me. If I said it, I promise you, I will do exactly what I said. And again, we're going to study this in detail. I'm so excited about what we're about to unfold. I'm excited for me. I've already studied all this, but I get to sharpen it and deepen it and cinch those knots tight again. And I'm just super excited about it. But here on this very first teaching, I'm, I am wondering this. I'm wondering if already, if the Holy Spirit is beginning to move in your heart. I'm wondering if you caught a little glimpse or you felt something just inside just kind of tug at you a little bit and you realize that there may be areas that you are strangers to the covenants of promise. Maybe you really are, right? Maybe you haven't accepted Jesus and you're just here or you're kind of been coming to church and, and you're thinking about it, you're considering it, but you just haven't taken that step. And listen to me, I would do everything I could as a pastor on the integrity of God to convince you today's the day. Today's the day. We, Jesus is coming soon. I'm, not, I'm just not exaggerating that. And the world's getting crazy. Today's the day that you should make that decision because God loves you and he's got a great thing for you. But there might be uh, a whole bunch of other people here that you are Christians. But you've got an area or a few areas of need. 
Maybe it's just kind of the overall, the overwhelming stuff that's happening in the world and you just feel yourself fighting fear and fighting insecurity and and feeling confused and feeling bewildered and maybe feeling angry and frustrated and polarized and you, you just got all that stuff you're tangled up in. Maybe there are other areas that are even more fundamental provision and marital stuff and stuff happening in your health. And maybe, maybe there's areas where you realize, you know what? I really need for God to step in, but I don't know how to be confident that he'll do that. I hope he will. I keep asking that he will. I'm praying that he will. But if I got to be honest, at the end of my prayer, I don't feel any more confident, any more at peace, any more relaxed than I did at the beginning when I was totally freaked out. And we, we want to change that. And here, I'm going to pray a couple of things in just a moment. And then I'm going to have you stand and we're going to worship with one more chorus while you allow the Holy Spirit to keep moving in you because we have to respond, it, at least internally, right? We, we can't just keep hearing this stuff and walking away and having lunch and forgetting it. The times that we live in are too serious. And God went to, to, to too great of lengths He worked too hard for us to just explain this and marginalize this away. So in a moment, we're going to sing another worship song and the Holy Spirit's going to keep talking to us and dealing with us. And then we're going to respond. But first, I'm going to say a short prayer for you. And I just want you to know what I'm praying so you can position your heart and get in agreement with me. First thing, I'm I'm going to pray whatever that need is. Because we, we want to get that taken care of, right? So you can clear, kind of clear the mechanism and, and get your head on straight. I'm going to pray that God, the Holy Spirit, would come right now and begin to comfort you and confirm that he's with you, that he'll help you in that need. I'm going to pray that, right, that he'll do that today. But the second thing I'm going to pray is a bigger prayer. And it has to do with, with the next number of weeks that we'll be studying, that the Holy Spirit would stir your heart that you'd experience a hunger for the Word of God that you didn't even know was there, that you'd experience an interest, kind of an intrigue, if nothing else, and you'd come back and you'd keep opening your eyes and opening your mind to see what does the Bible say? Because I promise you, as that happens and you begin to realize this contract is real and it is irreversible, God will never, ever change. This is what he said, and this is what he will do, and he'll do it every single time. And you can be as intentional with this as you are with any other contract, especially when you have a need. You get on the phone to your insurance company and say, hey, so-and-so, I just had this happen, and I just wanted to verify. Yep, good, I'm covered. Okay, how can I expect for that? All of those same transactions are what should be happening in our life with God. And I'm going to show you exactly how the Bible tells us to do this, and I'm telling you, it will change your life. And I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit, who's the real teacher, would come and get involved right here from the very beginning and walk us through this study. Bow your hand, close your eyes. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is true. We all know that somewhere in our heart, we all know that you are an integrous God, that you don't lie ever, that you're faithful. But somewhere in the craziness of trying to live out this life, it gets really scrambled and really complex. And so I'm asking you right now, Heavenly Father, because of your great mercy, the one that renews itself every morning, that you would meet every person here whose heart is open, who's whispering to you right now about need or needs that they have, that you would meet them right in the middle of that need right now. And you begin to give wisdom. You begin to give confidence. You begin to start making a way where they didn't think there was any way. And you would prove to them that you're a faithful God. 
But I pray on a larger level, Holy Spirit, that you would come in as the teacher, the one that has committed himself to lead and guide us into all of God's truth, that you would come in and do something fresh and brand new in every one of our hearts. Stir us with a new hunger for the word open our minds and push aside all the clutter and all the confusion and all the chaos that that's tangled us up and help us to see the simplicity but the integrity of the things that you promised us and as that happens lord transform us change us forever and ever and help us to be the people that you've called and created us to be i thank you for that again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.